This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. How are you doing, Rich? Oh, man. I am feeling pretty good. Uh, I thought about giving a little scream there, giving a little cry of uh, exhilaration and joy, but there are people sleeping in my home right now. But yeah, man, the Kings are on a winning streak. How does that feel, Brennan? (laughs) On a winning streak. Yeah, two games in a row. Um, You know, the Golden State game honestly felt pretty gross. I'm glad that they pulled it off. Um, I know we don't want to dive into it too much because, I mean, what is there to really dive into? They played the worst team in the league. Um, and I guess we got to see the end of Marquise Chris, but 111 to 98 for Sacramento in that one. Um, I mean, is there any notes that you want to point out? It was the Colley Stein revenge game, I guess. Yeah, we brought Marquise Chris into this world and we took him out of this world. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there's not. Yeah, nah, I don't know. I watched this game and. I just got bored. Like, it was just a boring game. I, it's one of those weird Kings wins where you're just like, I can't even care about this, though. It was – Yeah. It was a grim – it was a grim scenario. Um, yeah, 111-98, I guess, like, Paschal uh, – was Eric Paschal the best King – or, excuse me, the best Warriors player in this game? I guess, like – Glenn Robinson was okay. He was hitting some mid-ranges, and yeah, I don't know. I guess. I mean, just I, I like guess. from a, maybe from like an excitement standpoint. Yeah. You're just like, okay, the the most exciting player on this team is a second-round pick, rookie. Right. Like, that's that's a pretty grim situation. Yeah, no, I, I don't have much to say. Um, I'm glad that Willie Cauley-Stein didn't. Put twenty and fifteen on the Kings. So I felt he like that started was a hot, possibility. right? Yeah, he started hot. I was yeah. kind of like, oh shit, because I mean, Collie Stein's thing is his effort. So if he's out there trying his ass off, who knows what's going to happen? That's true. That's true. It could have happened. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I just don't. I, I'm I'm grasping at straws. I you know, Ariza played another thirty-two minutes in this game. That was kind of a lot um he played great of, though he, he that, was, that was the one thing i was going to mention about this game is i mean yeah he did i mean i think he saw my tweet about him averaging being one of the four <laughs> players in the league to average less than 6.5 points per game uh yeah he he went off and 
can't really complain about it. I, I want to kind of save my praise for him for discussing the Suns game as well because he had a big – I mean, the, the Kings wouldn't have won this game against the Suns if it weren't for Trevor Ariza. I'll just come out and say that. Which is so hilarious. Which if is it, so hilarious. If it was not for Trevor Ariza and Dwayne Dedman, the Kings would not have beat the Phoenix Suns. It's true. But before we get there fully, I'll just say that the one thought I had was that a lot of Kings players were playing a lot of minutes in this game and it felt like kind of late. I don't know. Yeah. Buddy Heald played 36 minutes and, and that's fine, but I don't know. I, and and they it, it felt a little more comfortable than what the final score was. It definitely did. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And um yeah, but oh, and I guess Steve Kerr got ejected and he got fined. That was something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they gave him a lot of. Uh, he can do whatever he wants. Apparently, he was really giving it to the refs. But yeah, I mean, let's just move on to the main event here. I, I, I mean, I would have bet my house that the Kings had beaten the Warriors with this sorry team and that many players out, but was not nearly as sure about this Suns game. Uh, the Kings beat the Suns in Phoenix, 114-103. Do you want to walk through it a little bit chronologically, or do you want to just give me your, your first headline? What's like the biggest takeaway from this? Um, well, first, there's no Rashawn Holmes, and Harry Giles started in this one. And, I mean, my biggest takeaway is going to be my biggest free agent signing that I've yet to give up on is Dwayne Dedman. I, I thought that just being ready and able to go back out there. I thought that he looked great in his minutes out there. I thought he looked better than Giles minutes. Um, Giles looked good offensively and he was pretty hot out the gate, but defensively Deandre Ayton was getting offensive boards, doing whatever he wanted to him. I think part of it is that like Giles was so terrified of fouling. Um, so he wasn't being very physical, but Deadman was head and shoulders better defensively. And looked serviceable offensively as well. I mean, he hit one of his threes. The others looked good. They were in rhythm, really. And, like, defenses were respecting him in this. Like, the biggest thing for me was that Deadman is clearly an NBA player. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and, I mean, we knew that already. It's just, like, you're right that he's been not playing like it, but did did that come as a surprise to you um seeing him back in the rotation did you think that oh man he's going to go 0 for 5 from 3 and be negative 20 or did you think that this was about what was going to happen i honestly did not know like i was so anxious for this game just like every time deadman was out there, which I mean, he played 32 minutes in this game. I was just staring at him the entire time. Like I was so anxious and curious what we were going to get from Deadman. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I probably would have leaned towards this performance. I don't think he was like phenomenal necessarily, but it was a big upgrade over what Giles was giving. I feel like, and he still had a couple turnovers that were a little much. I mean, Deadman had that problem in Atlanta a little bit too. He had three in this one, but. Yeah, that entire bench squad of Joseph Deadman Ariza just was amazing in this one. Yeah, I think he had one turnover off his own hand, which was confusing to me. Um, but I mean, guys, <laughs> guys lose handles all the time. It's not that crazy. It just it just felt like 
it felt like a Deadman, yeah. you know, first five games of the season moment. But aside from that, I agree. I think he played. I think he played really well. He also airballed a three in the fourth quarter. That was really, really ugly. But he did. But he played nineteen minutes straight. Mm. He he came in in the third Is that quarter. True. My With God. Seven minutes left in the third quarter. He came in and played the rest of the game. And Luke does that it's, sometimes. It's like as much he did as that I with like well, Deadman, I don't know. Yeah. He did that with Wayne and Gabriel, like in the third game. Of, I think it was against the Jazz, where you were there in Salt Lake City, and oh, he Jesus. just he like pulled Deadman, and he just was like, "All right, uh, Wayne, you're going to play the next 21 minutes straight until the game's over." It's like, really, <laughs> like really, bro. I don't know. I don't know what that like. Some, I, do you think he just forgets? I don't know what's going on. He has like the oddest rotations. Yeah, that seems I mean, like a lot. his only other option in this kind of was Giles, unless sure. he was going to put Swanigan or Gabriel. And I, Giles did kind of get abused defensively. So I mean, uh, yeah, I I, somewhat get it, but not so nineteen minutes straight. Like give I don't, Giles three minutes, four minutes in there at some point, or give Gabriel a couple minutes if you're so worried about. Giles, I, I think, honestly, you could give Gabriel a couple minutes there. I probably wouldn't go to Swanigan. Uh, but there's also, I mean, we're in, listen, this 2020, do some funky stuff. Put Bielitsa there for a minute. But you could do a Barnes-Ariza big look, briefly. You could do that. Um, not saying it's going to be the most productive stuff, but it may be better than playing like a 30-year-old 19-minute straight and kind of gassing him when he hasn't played right. in weeks. So, that's interesting. That's, I think that's a good choice for headline or co-headline along with Giles to start. I, I'm not as down on, I, apparently you're a little down on Giles. I'm, I'm not down on what Giles did. You said he was kind of weak on the glass. I don't really agree. He had eight boards in 16 minutes. That's fine. That's totally fine for me. Um, a lot of those were kind of putbacks off of his own shot. And a lot of that also was coming against DeAndre Ayton. And, like, listen, he's going to lose that battle. Like, that's just going to happen. Like, he's going to lose that battle. Right. That was the main issue. He just got out, like, pretty much manhandled down there at times. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, I felt that he did well. That was the very first thing I in my notes for this game. The very first thing I wrote is Giles is doing a good job not fouling. It's not just that he's desperately trying to not foul. I thought that he was doing a good job. He was – really he was definitely going out of his way to like uh, straight up and down like he was like really not letting himself pass that exact 180 degree 90 degree angle from the from the floor like he was a stiff as a board uh vertically which was which was actually really good because the way that I felt that was playing out was he came into this game knowing there wasn't much of an option at center and he was like all right, I'm starting this game. I have to stay in it. I have to have enough minutes. Like I can't, he did 2016 minutes. That is totally good. That is totally fine. And it felt like the opposite of where sometimes we'll get like a four minute look in a game and he thinks I have to have my presence felt instantly. If I don't get a big monster block in these four minutes, I'll never see the floor again. So it was the opposite of that where he's like, I got to make this last baby. And I, it, he went a little too far. Uh, he, he overcompensated a little too much, swung the other way. But for the most part, it was, this was better than normal. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't think that Giles had a bad game. I think you have a really good point that it was just kind of a rough matchup for him. And going into it, I mean, Phoenix started Baines and Aiton, two centers really, and Bielitsa and Giles as the defense is not the uh, greatest solution there. But they did an okay job, and I think part of the matchup is what made Deadman look good in this one. And, you know, you mentioned the Utah thing earlier of the last time that, you know, Walton has played a guy or a time that you remember Walton playing a guy for that long. You mentioned Gabriel. The last the only game that Buddy Heald saw less minutes than this one was that Utah game that was just a complete blowout. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm glad you bring that up. That's my second note on this game was how terrible Buddy Heald was defensively. Why is he guarding Devin Booker? No idea. <clears throat> I mean, no idea. Like you don't want to cross match, I guess. I but love like, that Doug used that, that term right, which in the broadcast. So, yeah. It, and when he mentioned that, you? I'm like, I guess that could be an excuse, but like that's Why a terrible you? reason. Why don't you want to cross match? Why? Just I don't because, understand. yeah. If if Phoenix likes to run in transition, I guess it could be hard to do that, but you don't have to do it every single time. Obviously, it's, yeah, running in transition. Okay, I got this guy. Pick up whoever. It's hard to do it if you are bad at switching. Which, to be fair, Buddy Hield is He's bad um, at everything on defense. I mean. So you saw the video that I pulled, right, of him just uh, switching. So, okay. With Bielitsa, right? Yeah. And leaving leaving Baines completely open. And this is – I feel like every second podcast I'm like, hey, I pulled this play where Buddy Heald left his man insanely wide open and his man um, is good at hitting threes and this yep. was open for – insanely open three. Uh, this one was – absolutely absurd because what I realized, so this was the first time that I noticed it. It's early in the game. It's in the first five minutes of the game. And I asked in the tweet, I'm like, is this an intentional double team of Booker or is this just buddy being really bad at switching? And what I realized is it is an intentional switch. It is an intentional double of Booker. Uh, And I'll talk about that in a second, but in this instance, this should have been switched and it doesn't matter what it was. It could have been him trying to double book. It could have been him trying to switch. It doesn't matter because he is so slow in giving no energy. He's not affecting – what he's doing here is guarding no one. Um, I don't know if you have that video available, but for the important stretch like of that play, he's between both offensive players so much so that he's just guarding nobody. He and looks like a, he has the same question that you proposed. It's astonishing. And then like he just he he throws his hands up like a child trying to get a balloon that's lo- that he's lost grasp of. It is trying to it is absolutely infuriating. It reminds um, me of how we talked about Devin Booker with David Nash of the 7 seconds or less pod uh when we talked about Phoenix over the offseason. Remind me what that just that Booker completely falls asleep the entire time on that end and just is an absolutely terrible defender where I even at times was like, you know, it almost at times doesn't feel worth it to have Booker on the floor. And he's a phenomenal offensive player. Um, And Buddy's offense has not been anywhere close to good enough to make up for that. Right. I mean, his defense has been more bad than his offense has been good recently right and what was so crazy about this is i i tweeted this video out 
<clears throat> then I wa- I was continuing to, to rewatch the game, and he did it on the next two plays consecutively. This exact thing. He got lost. Like, he's guarding his man, and it's Devin Booker. And he's definitely been told, I can tell, like, obviously I don't have any information about this, but you can tell what's going on here is that Luke Walton has told him, it's okay to double Booker. We want to we want to throw doubles at him all game long. So if you feel that the situation is right, go ahead and double him. And you can tell that this happens three plays in a row where he decides, all right, I'm going to double Book. But he does it in such a slow, lazy way that he's not affecting the play in any way whatsoever. So they just rotate the ball around and get an easy bucket. And, yeah, I mean, this is some of the worst defense I've ever seen in my life, so I'll just leave it there. Yeah, it, it's rough in this one. And I will say, like, Buddy's shooting has seemed to come back around a little bit. Um, I, I put this on Twitter as well, but the, over the last seven games, Buddy has 21.5 points as an average, 8.3 three-point attempts on 46%. Like the shooting feels like it's coming back a little bit. And also he seems to look a little bit more comfortable with Fox. Like the pace seems to be picking up a little bit more here. So the shooting has come back around a little bit here, um, but it definitely is not enough to make up for, for what's going on on defense. Definitely. And so Harry Giles was often a guy that got caught up in doubles with Buddy, so it's generally a big because it's coming off of a pick and roll with a big man. Um, we see Bielitsa on that one play, but then Giles had happened a few times, and <clears throat> Giles got a little bit lost as well. It looked like Walden had a really short leash with him too, and then that was when I first noticed uh, when Deadman came in for Giles, Deadman did a great job in that same position where he's kind of doubling Booker but has to get back to his man. He broke up a few plays doing that that looked really nice. And that that's another thing I just wanted to give a kudos to Deadman for there. Yeah, he has very active hands. And I think that Trevor Ariza definitely had that in this game as well. Like his his shot started to fall a little bit, you know, over these last two games talking about the golden state and the Phoenix game, 18 points of golden state four of six from three. Um, and importantly, no turnovers in that game. And then in this Phoenix game, 15 points, three of five from three, uh, two steals in both these games as well. And then one turnover in that Phoenix game. And I, I think that with his shot starting to fall, he almost seems to care to try a little more on the defensive end and just had very active hands this whole game. I think that Phoenix throws a bit of some lazy passes, especially when they're not named Devin Booker or Ricky Rubio. Like, um, shoot, who is their backup point guard that they played in this one? Um, yeah, he was terrible in this one for them. Uh, he played a lot of, he threw a lot of lazy passes, and I think Ariza did <clears throat> yeah. a good job of taking advantage of that at times. Um, I thought and, that he, he's kind of their Corey Joseph in a way. Sorry to throw shade there, but I, I think he's a great defensive <laughs> point guard and yeah, he is. a not good offensive point guard. Right, and he's also just very young, and yeah. And, you know, this – okay, so this third quarter, it was 53-53 at half, right? Hold and on, hold on. on. Let, go ahead. Let's slow down just a second, just to, to close out the first. And I want to get to this with with Trev as well, but um, I just want to point out in this first half that Ariza – 
shot an air ball, which is fresh. Can I just point this out? Because, like, he's he was great in his last two games. I definitely think that it's the fact that he saw my tweet, so I'm just going to believe that. <laughs> but uh, is there a better is there a better shooter, three-point shooter, that shoots more air balls than Trevor Ariza? That's interesting. Uh, like, I, I wish that I, I wanna I wanna know if there's like an air ball tracker, like percentage of three point shots that are air balls, because I I can't imagine a person who shoots over thirty five percent from three also shooting like ten percent air balls, because that's straight up the situation. Yeah, it's interesting, and he's uh, he's up to thirty seven percent from three on the year. Yeah, yeah, he is, and. and We'll get into that in a second. He's going to get plenty of praise. Um, I also wanted to just mention that I thought that the second quarter, the first the first half really, uh, Darren Fox was phenomenal and really taking charge. We saw that dunk. Uh, he worked his way around Rubio, blew past him right down the lane, dunked over Baines, uh, and then he had another hard layup in a similar on a similar possession. He looked. Uh, I mean, the first half especially, and then the fourth quarter as well. But yeah. the first half especially, I thought that was just, this was one of the best halves. This is the best version of Fox that I've seen this year, more more speaking to his mindset necessarily than his numbers. But I think this may have been the, first, the best half I've seen of, of Fox all year. Yeah, I think that he just seemed very in control of the offense and was orchestrating everything. I also think the pace has been higher uh, recently, and that obviously helps him as well. I don't think it's back to what it was last year, obviously, but even just little outlet passes that aren't necessarily always off rebounds. I think even off of made baskets, they get the ball in quickly, and De'Aaron Fox has a great outlet pass to get it up the floor quicker. I just felt like he was more in charge of this game. We saw less Buddy Heald running a pick and roll, and it was more of Fox doing it over and over. Yeah, definitely. Um, There was another moment where Fox stole a pass to Aiden, and then he brought it up court. He got the matchup on Aiton. He kind of uh, called Bielitsa off, pushed him in the corner, and um, just kind of stepped back and, and drilled a three on Aiton. And that was like, all right, this is this is the version of Fox that the Kings need. Um, he's a phenomenal help defender. Like he's phenomenal when, especially when a guy is posting up, he comes yeah. in and digs and just he'll come at the perfect time, right as the guy is about to spin. He's so quick, you don't even see him coming. And it, he's just ridiculous in that way. And there was a couple plays where, you know, just all the rotations are going on. And after two, three passes from Phoenix's end, Aiton is open, wide open down low. And Fox gets in the passing lane right before it gets there. He just is an amazing help defender. And he's good on ball as well. But the off ball is, is just great that we've seen from him this year. Yeah, that reminds me of the first play in the Memphis game, right? Where he... He came over, and I think it, it was Jaron Jackson Jr. that he just just stuffed a shot against the backboard on the first possession of the game. And, I mean, he, he talked about that and saying that he's the type of player who he thinks he's good enough and smart enough to take gambles defensively to make a big play like that. Um, and it's, it's, it's that help that he's referring to coming over and stopping something uh, on the weak side or if he sees, like, if he sees that his uh, his teammate is beat, he can take a gamble and come over and make a big play, and he does it. I mean, I think that 
you know, there's other players in this team that take defensive gambles, but maybe they shouldn't so much. Um, but Fox is that guy. Yeah, I can think of a couple situations. I think there was one specifically in that Memphis game where he helped off of and didn't get the steal, and then obviously his man was wide open cutting to the basket, and he instantly takes credit for it, knowing that it's on him. Um, but yeah, more often than not, I, I'm okay with Fox making those plays. I think he takes them and attempts them at the right time. But are you good to uh, me talk about this weird third quarter real quick? Yeah, let's get to the third quarter Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. All right, so it was 53-53 at halftime. And then Phoenix goes on a 6-27 run, 27-6 run in their favor until the 4-minute and 50-second mark of that third quarter now they're sitting up 21 points 80 to 59 and then you have a lineup of and these guys this lineup formed about a minute before the end of that streak Corey joseph justin james trevor ariza harrison barnes and Dwayne deadman they close that quarter in the last little under five minutes on a 19 to 7 run and take a 21-point game to a nine-point game. And it was some of the best defense. Uh, like that, The defensive capabilities of that lineup is amazing. Yeah, I, I saw you tweeting about this, and you're definitely right. Uh, I love the three sort of combo forwards, the three sort of big wings in there with Barnes, James, and Ariza. Love that. Um, this is the question I was, I was thinking to myself when I saw this lineup out there. Well, I felt that Deadman was the weak link. Uh, personally, do you do you agree at all? Uh, in what way? Just in that I couldn't help but think about this lineup with Holmes in there. Interesting. Instead okay. of Deadman. To me, I feel like Fox instead of Joseph, just because to me, when I did initially see this lineup, I was like, where is the offense going to come from? Well, I mean, it was a great defensive lineup. You're totally right about it. I mean, this was the lineup that saved the Kings game. I just felt like, I mean, honestly, it could have just been Deadman like at a better version of himself too. And he was solid. I just thought that near down the end, like, I think he had a couple lapses where I was like, oh, it's not quite perfect. Like, there's a way to improve this still. And it also made me wonder, um, what's the – especially when Fox came in with a lot of this group, I think James came out and Fox came in for a lot of the fourth, where it was – is that right? It was Fox and Joseph out there together, Barnes and Ariza and Deadman still at the five. That's what I was was thinking. Is this the – 
five smartest players on this team? I mean, I think so. And actually, they had uh, Bielitsa play the entire fourth quarter over That's Barnes, right. which That's was right. weird to me. That is weird. That's what I was thinking of. So, like, I'm seeing, like, the old heads of Bielitsa out there, Ariza out there. Fox, obviously, a high IQ guy. I see Holmes is a really high IQ guy. What is – this is kind of a tangent, but if there was a, a high IQ lineup on this team, you just want to put out the five smartest basketball players – who would that be? Or we can get back to the third quarter and ignore that question. But I was just couldn't stop I, wondering it. I think it would be those guys, except instead of Bielitsa, I'd have Barnes. Um, so yeah, it would be Fox, Joseph, uh, Barnes, Ariza. And I'd probably put Deadman because I think Deadman might be smarter than Holmes, but Holmes's effort might carry him a little further. Because I don't think Holmes is like a low basketball IQ. I think I just might think Deadman's is a bit higher. Hmm. Maybe we just play Bealitz at center because I think he's got a tremendous basketball IQ. He, he does. just he That's just fair. doesn't have the body to like get it done. Yeah. Yeah. That's sorry, fair. but but no, this lineup did great. Um, and this that lineup you're talking about, I mean, Ariza was the spark plug, right? <laughs> He was, which is so weird. Like, that is where yeah. the offense came from. And it Justin James really actually had some nice offense as well. It was where the defense came from, too. Trevor Reza was doing everything. Yeah. He, I was he like, came oh, in, man. He came in. They, game. they put him on Devin Booker, and he shut Devin Booker down. Uh, for I mean, it wasn't a lot of possessions, but it was like five or six possessions. Uh, Booker went scoreless against him, missed a couple shots. Uh, Reza got a steal. Got to the line, got some free throws, drained a three, a little step back, <laughs> jab step three, drew a drew a charge, drew a or it was a uh, not a charge, it was a illegal screen. He was doing everything for like five minutes. <laughs> he really was like it was a flashback to old Ariza. It was so crazy, and it's almost like wow, this is what you kind of know that Ariza can do, but. How often can he do this for? I don't know. Like it, it was absolutely amazing to see that from him, though. Yeah, and then like you said, Justin James came in and hit his like patented super flat line drive jumper from the top of the key for two <laughs> points. That's like his thing is just just like going to the least efficient part of the floor, jumping super high and throwing the ball like almost downward. You said KD. <laughs> yeah, I did, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. He does have like a weird little KD style with his lanky arms and his, his mid-range jumper. But yeah, and then he hit a three and I was like, damn, Justin James had a three. Yeah, he he did. He definitely did in this one. And yeah, I had no clue where this offense was going to come from. I figured it was going to go to Barnes every single time. Barnes, zero points in this stretch. Ariza had 10 of the 19 points. Justin had the had five. And yeah. Did Barnes I mean, make a field goal in this game? I didn't. I think he didn't for a long time. I, I forgot to check at the end. Throughout this entire game, he did not. He had two free throws. <laughs> wow nice. and he only shot the ball three times oh for three that's crazy yeah and you know justin james has been really good defensively in the times that he's been given opportunities yeah you stop yourself from saying great just there yeah because great is me getting a little 
it's a little too much for James right now, but he's been, he's been very serviceable and he's not like you would expect the 40th pick to be some liability. And especially with his frame, uh, no, he, he moves his feet well and he seems to be smart on the defensive end. Uh, we know he likes to talk, so I'm assuming he communicates on the defensive end. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, very good to be sure. I think great relative to expectation is, is fair for him. Yeah. Defensively. I mean, you, a second round draft pick rookie should not be any good at all. I mean, like sh- should be a huge negative on defense. Like that's what we expect. Um, and like Eric Pascal and uh, yeah, like these guys, uh, it's, it's important. I mean, it's, it's a huge indicator that they're going to be an NBA player. Yeah, it, it really is. And you know, I also want to mention, like, we kind of talked about the fourth quarter lineup, but Fox playing alongside Corey Joseph is interesting. We did not see that much to start the year. I know Fox has missed a lot of time, um, and it's mainly because Buddy was so bad in this one. But it seemed to work fine. It seemed to work fine. Joseph was hitting his shots. I don't know that he's always going to hit his shots. Um, yeah. There was a three that they really needed that he that he hit. He had a couple in this game that they really needed. I think one was at the end of the third, I want to say. And then there was one where Fox got Aiden on uh, on him again. Fox did that a bunch. Fox was targeting Aiden, and you'd like to see that. He's he's being a bully to this seven-foot dude. Um, and he looked good. And then he he kind of he drove in to his right and uh, kicked it back out to Corey Joseph. And I was like, that's not Buddy that you're kicking that ball out to. But, uh, yeah, Joseph hit it. Yeah, let's just do this uh, small sample size and say that Joseph's shooting 61% from three over the last five games. 61% from three. So what is On that? On two and a half attempts. Nine? Yeah, let's see. Um, if I can, two, five, eight, 11, 13 attempts. So eight of 13, seven of, seven of 13. Seven eight, of 13. Eight of 13 is what I got here. I eight probably did math somewhere wrong in there, but yeah. Okay, that's really good. Yeah, you know, it's he's is yeah, wow, it's fourteen. That's that's okay hot. in that way. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that allows him to play alongside Fox a little bit. And I, I mean, I also think that you know Phoenix has definitely slowed down since their hot start. And there's times where it feels like nobody, not anybody, not named Devin Booker, just can't do anything for this Phoenix team. Um, but Sacramento played really solid in this one, so. Or what other games do you, what other notes do you have from this one before I ask you a question on how this affects moving forward? Yeah, a couple just throwaway notes here. Um, one is that I was listening to this game, uh, listening to to Grant and Doug calling this one, and uh, Doug at a certain point was like, um, "Maybe they should, maybe they should have Buddy not guard Devin Booker anymore." Yeah, <laughs> which was hilarious to me. And that was when he started using that cross-matching thing. But, like, to have Doug Christie, like, the color commentary dude for the for the the, the team broadcast, like, if he's going to call you out, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, it, it does not make sense. And, like, Walton literally sat him. So, Heald gets pulled at the 6-minute, 17-second mark of the third quarter. Comes back in with three seconds left in the third just to take 
be in for one final offensive possession. Aside from that, he did not play again. He sat for a little over 18 minutes. If you don't count those three seconds, pretty much 18 and a half minutes straight. So I'm guessing that this is what you wanted to ask about going forward. It was about Deadman. Okay, then then I'll just say that my, my final note was just that Joseph and Fox looked great defensively together to close the game. Like that's a they looked so good together that that I want to see that again at some point. Um that felt like it was such a smart defense and it was run by two super smart guards and I felt like they were just making every decision correctly and they when they had the lead and the ball, like I was just like, all right, these guys are taking care of it. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the ball just like flying out of one of their hands. I'm not worried about, about them making a terrible pass. I felt secure with that lineup, even though, you know, um, there's not a ton of shooting in that combination. I, I would like to see that if there's like a two or three point lead in the final minute of a game, that's the lineup I think I'd like to see. Yeah, definitely. We mentioned it. I, I remember specifically mentioning wanting to see that lineup against a team like Portland, you know, two really strong offensive guards. I think that's a time that you can definitely pull that out. And yeah, that that trio of Joseph Ariza and Deadman. Joseph a plus 34, Deadman plus 33, and Ariza plus 32. Scandalous, honestly. Crazy. In an 11-point game. The next guy is Justin James with a plus 8. Like, yeah, and, buddy, and then Buddy Heald minus, minus 25. 25. Right. Plus thirty four for Corey Joseph is that is a nasty. I mean, and you and you, we know that that's playing opposite of Buddy. A lot of that, right? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a pretty crazy one there. So I am like, I can't help myself with this Deadman stuff. It excites me so much, and I have this like hope that he's going to get back into the rotation and then not actually go anywhere. I believe it. I'm not even kidding. I'm with you. But go on. So just looking at next game, do you start Dwayne Dedman against so Milwaukee? Is, uh, under the assumption that Holmes is, is not good yes, to go. Yes, yes. Um, you do. I think, I think so, you right? do. Yeah. I think you do, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. And, hmm, yeah, I'm really interested for when Bagley comes back here. Because if Deadman stays in the rotation, which I think he should, um, when Holmes returns, I, I'm sticking to I think you need to keep strict front court duos. Maybe you can play with it a little bit, but Deadman and Bagley pretty much need to mirror minutes. And I think that Bielitsa and Holmes need to mirror minutes. And say Deadman keeps up even this level of play. Holmes has been phenomenal, and you're probably going to disagree, but I think he could be fine in a bench roll. No, I don't disagree because I've been on this for a minute, and we've gotten like called out for it by various idiots who think that <laughs> we're diminishing his value. What I've been saying for a long time is like play him in that Trez role. Right, that's what I was going to say. Who's the comp? It's Trez. Right. And if... Yeah, if I mean, because like Marvin kind of has to be starting, no? After last year, um, I I mean, I don't think he has to, but I get it. I think that is the more sensible combination. Yeah, I think it's Bagley 
God damn it. We're back here again. Part of that to me is that I think that he is best sharing the floor with Fox if they are going to be running. Yeah, no, that's great. It all adds up. It all adds up. Um, and, and then Deadman is your Deadman is your role playing small usage five who can stretch the floor. Yeah, we're back here, folks. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that and then you get Bogey and Holmes coming off the bench together. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Right. And you have nice defense. I mean, uh, Joseph can guard the one on defense, but then play off ball on offense. Um, and yeah, and then if this does kind of come back, it does kind of leave Giles on the outside looking in. I mean, you could find minutes here and there for him. Listen, that's my guy. Uh, you know, that's my guy. Love that guy. But uh, real talk, he's already on the outside. They declined his player yeah. option. He will not be returning to the Kings. Not reporting that. But yeah, like open your eyes, everybody. He's gone. The, a team will offer him a one-year $5 million deal. They will. So the Kings have made a mistake, and that is going to be the result of their mistake. Right. But I'm hoping this is a turning point for Dwayne Dedman specifically and slightly Trevor Ariza. I, I think that this was the first time that we got the taste of what we expected from Sacramento's bench heading into this season. We thought this was one of the deepest teams in the league. I think we had very good reason to believe that. And we saw what that bench trio was able to do. Bogdanovich, not even there, who is one of the best players that comes off the bench. I think you're, I think you're being a little too strong. I think maybe, maybe just, just hedge a little bit with some qualifiers because this was one game where a deadman showed up. Right. We can't put all of our chips, you know, back on onto him. But the, like with the qualifier that he's able to play at this level and that Luke Walden accepts him back into the rotation and that Vlade Divac does not trade him for table scraps, then yes, then I'm on board for this plan. Yeah, I can't help myself with this Deadman stuff. He's like outside of Fox and, you know, maybe Bagley. Like I just get so excited for Deadman. Maybe it's because I pushed for him so hard over the offseason. And I just feel like he has to be good in order to help Bagley fit into this. But yeah, you're right. I I am definitely admittedly getting a little bit excited here. But uh, I mean, hopefully this comes around. Um, And that is the best case scenario with Deadman. Don't be mistaken. There's no trade that Deadman will, there's no return that Deadman will bring that will be as valuable as him just being confident in what he is supposed to do. Um, you know what I mean? Like what was the, the yeah. best thing we could even imagine was uh, Maurice Harkless for a year and expiring and then turning to nothing. Right. Like there's just be like he is, he was the perfect player for this system. If he could just replicate what he did last year, it's so frustrating, but let's move on from that. I think we're getting too, too hopeful. Let me just throw one last question at you here before we wrap it up. Do you have, I mean, is there anything that you want to take away from this game going forward regarding buddy killed? 
It's nothing new, really. Like, I mean, I think there's moments where he should be sitting towards the ends of end of games. And yeah, I mean, the main thing that annoyed me here was that he was guarding Devin Booker when he was out there. Like, I think he could have been serviceable if he was just on Ricky Rubio. This was the plan was to put him on Devin Booker and to let him double Booker and like to let people double onto him. But I don't think that it worked out the way that Walton wanted because I think what was supposed to happen was people were going to come and help Buddy. But it ended up Booker would switch and then he would, Buddy would come and help on whoever he switched onto and then it would, Booker would just pass out and it was a disaster. Um, but I think it is something new and I don't think that you're maybe seeing the big picture here because it's been several games that he's been benched on the stretch now, looking back the last couple of weeks. And I don't think he's ever been benched the last 18 minutes of a game that they won. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I think so the Houston game is the first one where he really got sat. Right. I think that may have been, yeah. And that wasn't like 18 minutes. I don't think right. that was fourth quarter benching, early fourth quarter benching, something like that. And that was when he came out and complained or, or no, that was who knows, honestly. Um, he seems to be very outspoken recently, which is an odd development too. So I don't know. I mean, I think something is changing and evolving with Buddy Heald's role in this team. I don't think it's going to necessarily mean anything. It could all change back to normal very easily, but it's a weird trend to me. Uh, he He's a very lovable guy. All the fans of Sacramento love him. I don't think that they are loving his defense, and I don't think that they're loving a lot of the comments after games recently. Yeah. I don't know. Um, he got paid a lot of money. I think that that contract is a good contract. You have to sign that contract. But, I mean, do you think there's any scenario where he just might be better in sort of a Lou Williams coming off the bench role? What if you mm. brought, brought Buddy and Rashawn off the bench together? Um, and I know realistically you probably can't do that after paying him, but I I don't know. I could see Bogey being the better starting option. It's interesting because I mean we don't like Buddy running the offense you know like I'd rather have Bogey doing that and if you're talking like a full second unit I think I'd rather have Bogey out there and Buddy is like a compliment to Fox if they start running which I again I think they picked up a little bit this year um yeah I don't know I I definitely debated asking you the same question i don't really know the answer it's kind of up in the air and i'm not going to say i have never uh considered the idea of trading buddy healed next year but i'm thinking a little bit too far ahead here <laughs> yeah that one i i guess we probably can't talk too much about just because it's not possible this year but let's just remember that buddy was a uh great six man behind bogdan bogdanovich That's before true. bogey had his knee surgery um he wasn't expected to really start and i get it that you want to have bogey facilitate the second unit but hey what did you pay Corey joseph for so i mean and is buddy a worse fit than with Corey joseph than he is with fox because definitely not he's actually kind of a perfect fit with Corey joseph yeah well i think you paid Corey mainly for his defense i i think i expected which him would offset playmaker buddy on I, that's what i'm saying that like 
I get like, I'm with you. I, and I'm, I am with you and I'm not saying that this is the better option, but I, I have never really looked at it, looked at it this way where you can look at it and say, Hey, buddy actually works great on a second unit where he doesn't have to defend the opposing team's best player. Often Corey Joseph can kind of cover him on defense, cover his assignment, cross match, what have you. Uh, Kojo needs a shooter next to him. It kind of works in either direction. And if Bogdanovich is going to play competent defense, why not put a another ball handler in that mix? Like, there's nothing wrong with having two guys that can that can handle the ball and pass well. Yeah, I guess. Are you comfortable having uh, Joseph initiating the offense? Definitely, I definitely am. Okay, I think you uh, might I mean, be a little more comfortable with me than I am with that. I ha- I'm very comfortable with him initiating the offense for 16 minutes a game. And again, it's not like yeah. hockey shifts. It can be eight minutes and you can, you can kind of overlap bogey in and out and you can have Fox um, out there with buddy for eight minutes and you can have, you know, you can mix it up all around. Like yeah. it's not going to be hockey shifts in and out like that. So all I right. just think that sometimes I know we, as a community, we like, are done with who starts and whatever, but like Boki closes the most games anyway. So I don't know. I, I, I think you kind of want to put your five best players on the floor for the first couple minutes and for the last couple minutes. And I'm not really opposed to that. Yeah, that, that could be interesting and it's something I'll, I'll keep debating and we'll touch back on here at some point. Yes, sir. Food for thought, but that's all I've got. Uh, you want to mention uh, a couple of these Stockton things real quick? You were just at the game, right? Yeah, I missed this game live uh, to see the Stockton Kings get beaten by the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. But uh, Which G League team is that? It's Houston. Okay. It's Houston, yeah. but uh, and, and they don't have a lot of their guys. But uh, Michael Frazier put up 30-something points on him. Uh, and he actually looks pretty good. He's, he's a... He's an interesting G League guy. But, um, yeah, Gabe Vincent, a guy we talked about on here before, a Stockton native, much like myself uh, as of this week. Uh, Gabe Vincent just got a deal with the Miami Heat. Uh, two-way deal there. Um, he's been completely on fire shooting the ball. 6'3", 200-pound guard. Would have been interesting to see him get a little bit of a look with the Kings, but you know, they don't have room. They got 15 players right now and two, two ways. Nothing you can really do about that. He um, leads the G league in three pointers made. I mean, he's been shooting like 40, what? Yeah, 43% on like 41.9% on 10 attempts. 42% on 10 attempts a game. Yeah. He's, what? he's been, yeah, that's how you get a job. And that's how you get a job with the Miami heat, who, by the way, if you're going to get a job with any team, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's the that or Toronto. I was going to say, I think it's the Heat, the Spurs, and Toronto are like the three best development teams. So probably yeah. a bright future ahead from this uh, Stockton native and uh, respect that. And the other little bit of news is that Eric Mika is back from China. The Stockton Kings brought him back. Bit of a fan favorite in the, the Summer League and I think was leading the G League in rebounding. I saw you wrote a piece on that before yeah. he went over to China. Yeah, he was. He he was going crazy in that regard, and uh, I wonder why he came back so quickly. Um, 
I, I don't know if China has a short season over there or what's going on, but yeah, he definitely uh, was leading the the G League in rebounds for a while there and is a little bit of a rim runner to keep an eye on. Glad to have him back sitting there in the Stockton roster. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe Stockton needed a big man. Um, that's certainly a possibility with the the need for the Kings at, at center. And then I believe Stockton brought in a guy named Kevin Young, who's a bit of an older uh, journeyman guy. So I could see why Mika could be very valuable down there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have anything else before I end you end it with some random little trivia question for you? No, go ahead. Okay. So De'Aaron Fox has talked about this before. Um, do you think, and this probably is easy, that he is a better catch and shoot field goal percentage or off the dribble? Off the dribble. It is. It's not by much this year. Um, and I'll pull up his last year's really quickly as well. But he has mentioned before that he is way more comfortable off the dribble than catch and shoot. And you see it a lot on three pointers. Um, but so far this year, yeah, 33% uh, off the dribble and 32% catch and shoot. And actually what Synergy qualifies as unguarded, he's only 31% this year. Um, he's just not a catch and shoot player, really. Like. Yeah. Well, he's never done it, right? I mean, that's yeah. never been his game. I don't imagine he was off ball ever in high school or college, really. Right. So, yeah, last year, I, I just pulled it up as well, 36.9% catch and shoot and 40.6% off the dribble. So, yeah, just, I don't know, just random little note. I definitely realize it in games. Um, I, I feel a lot more confident when he's shooting it off the dribble and they seem to go in a little bit more as well. Yeah, and I mean, that speaks to the concept of staggering him and Joseph a little more. So I don't know if that if that helps the uh, the case to put to put Buddy with Joseph. You know, uh, you know, one final little quick thing we never touched on Kyle Kuzma, did we? Did we say this last episode? No, we didn't, did we? No, should we just say that there's no way in hell that Kyle Kuzma gets traded for Bogdan Bogdanovich? Leave it at that. Um, yeah, I don't mean to like put out all these threats and stuff, but if Bogdan Bogdanovich gets traded <laughs> for Kyle Kuzma, we'll have an episode about how everyone needs to be fired. Um, I mean, everyone, 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 everyone should be fired if that's, but they, but it won't happen. No. And that seemed to clearly be put out from the Lakers camp. Um, and, 100%. And also, yeah. Also like at least Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like, are you serious right now? Yeah. You got to start with Bogey. <laughs> yeah. That is so obviously the Lakers trying to build Kuzma's trade value up from very, very little to something. And it's, it's not working because you can see every Sacramento beat writer obviously got the same text right from uh the kings is not happening this is not happening for all of these reasons please make this extremely clear thank you right yeah um and you know very final note uh austin rivers put out a video today on his it was a gq my 10 essentials with austin rivers everyone it's on my twitter for what gq sports does this with people where they just 
bring them in, have a little interview, and they go through what their ten essentials are. Just listen, all the time. I'm not I'm not a quarterly gentleman, so maybe you should explain to me. I what don't like these to watch are. a bunch of GQ or anything, but these ten. It's essentials a magazine, are is it not? Interesting. They are, it's but a, it's just a like a YouTube. It's a YouTube. They just video. have like Instagram videos and shit. Yeah, they have YouTube videos. Um. And they just go through and pretty much guys, mainly they get a bunch of athletes on there that say what they bring with them everywhere that they travel. Um, and it's kind of, sometimes they're pretty boring. And to be honest, the Austin Rivers one was pretty boring. I gotta um, know. I gotta know what. Yeah. What I, okay. So he said like cologne. Uh, he always brings hand sanitizer and like. But like, did he have a specific cologne? Um, not really. He said just pretty much not popular ones that he'll go and just smell everything and be like, okay, which one do people not buy very often? Because I don't want to smell like other people. Damn, this dude sucks. Uh, what are you talking about? Why are you trying so hard to not smell like other people? That is suspicious. It's true. He's already unique enough. Brandon, what are your essentials? <laughs> oh God. Um, Let's see, a microphone and a computer. All right, that was not a fun answer. No, it was I'll not. tell you, for me, I'll tell you what it is. Number one essential is those... Uh, Beard oil. No, no, no. I mean, that's up there. <laughs> it's not like, I mean, that's probably what I would tell GQ or whatever, but <laughs> right. here's what it is. It's those dental picks. The one, You know, like the ones with like oh, okay. the pointy end and then like the floss right. on the other side? I need that. Like I freak out if I don't have those. Cause I have like, there's like, if I, I don't know, I have this weird thing about my teeth that if I have something stuck in them, I like fixate on it and I can't get past it. Okay. So my toiletry thing is uh, Q-tips. I obsess over not having Q-tips when I get out of the shower. Yeah. See, I've never used a Q-tip a day in my what life. What is I don't wrong think. with you? How do you even hear our conversations? I go crazy for Q-tips. Honestly, it feels so good, too. It feels so good. Yeah. Uh, how deep are you going with that Q-tip? No, I think you I'm not too going too deep. Don't worry. Don't worry. And hit the part of your brain that appreciates Austin Rivers. No, 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 no. You just go nice surface level. I'm making the hand motion right now. Nobody can see, obviously. But, yeah, and my ear's tingling. Like, I need some Q-tips right now. All right, man. I'm going to get on this dental pick. <laughs> There we go. Let us know what your essential is if you got to this point. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks to everybody for listening. Hear from us again in the next couple of days.